Tampa Bay business leaders. Are you getting to the point where you're starting to bump up against the limits of your time? Because you started a business, you're running a business, you're producing a lot of content, Mm -hmm. you're doing two podcasts. Um, I think today you had the speaking engagement. Mm -hmm. So you're out there, you're doing a lot. How are you managing your time these days? Um, Is this part of the interview? Yeah, we're going. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I just wanted to see. Um, So the way that I'm managing my time is it's just kind of changes on a day by day basis. Yeah. Um, I get seven, eight hours of sleep every single night. So like I wake up in the morning feeling energized and good. Right. Like sleep is something that I always prioritize because without that, like I'm not gonna be able to get anything done, Mm -hmm. let alone manage my time properly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, being able to delegate and actually build a team is what's kind of allowed me to focus 90% of my time on essentially networking and getting out there. So I'm not really a traditional salesperson. Yeah. Um, I'm more of kind of a brand building type of person where I just want to put myself out there and just kind of let things come my way whenever somebody feels like they need or want to work with me. Um, so it's a lot of just like vetting opportunities that are coming my way mm-hmm. versus, you know, cold calling and like outwardly trying to approach businesses. It's more about just getting our message and my message out to the community. And if people want to work with us, then great. <laughs> but I'm just looking to build relationships. So. Well, that's that's kind of practicing what you preach, right? I right. mean, you're you know they say eating your own dog food, but mm-hmm. you're doing what you do for clients essentially. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like more and more that's going to become what sales is? You know, moving from less sort of outbound sales teams reaching out to people cold because that's getting more difficult to content creation, demand generation type strategies where you're putting things out there in the world that teach people what you do and how you do it and then let them come to you? Mm -hmm. I do think there's going to continue to be both. I mean, I think sales is always going to exist in some capacity, but I do think there is going to be more kind of creative ways to build your brand as a whole where people kind of come to you. And I think a lot of it just comes down to, and you would know this from being in like the radio world as well, but like everything is so saturated Mm -hmm. with ads even half the social content that people put out feels like ads. So I do think there's going to be more of like thought leadership and like educational type of content and drawing people in because like what you're putting out is so good and it's so quality that they're going to want to work with you. Um, But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to choose like who they want to follow, who resonates with them the most. And I do think that it's going to become more and more important over time to almost have like a little mini media company within your company Mm -hmm. that kind of attracts people in for a subject matter that they're interested in. And then maybe if the chips fall properly for the way that you want them to, they'll reach out to you to actually form some kind of a business relationship or buy something or whatever it may be, because people might discover me because of business for example, Mm -hmm. because we posted about like something that's opening on water street in downtown or something like that. But then through a couple other conversations with me and just getting to know who I am, they'll be they'll see that Brick Media exists and then that might make them curious. But even at that point, I don't really make the sale. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still kind of just, you know, adding value. Like if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, having a lunch here and there, or a coffee meeting here and there. Um, and then if people do want to end up working with me, then that's, that's obviously great. (laughs) But, um, for me, the real ROI is the relationship. It's not necessarily getting the sale because that could either lead to a direct relationship down the line. That's more organic and natural, or it'll lead to maybe them just liking me and introducing me to other people in their network because I've built that trust. 
So I do think that's going to become more and more of a thing as the world just continues to be saturated with more and more ads and more and more content. Right. How did you come to that place? Specifically, that's a very thoughtful, strategic approach to business that I don't think a lot of people have the patience for. Mm -hmm. Um, You do a lot. I mean, we met this way. We met over coffee at some point a couple of years ago, and it was really just an intro meeting to, you know, get a feel for each other and see if we could help each other. But that takes patience. You know, a lot of businesses are like, all right, we need a team of salespeople. We need to be reaching out to people. We need meetings. We need activity. And it's very, it's very sales driven approach. Whereas what you're doing, I think sounds to me like it works really well for you and others that do it. But again, it takes patience. Like, how did you learn that? So it's not even really something that I learned necessarily, like through reading some kind of a book or hearing somebody talk about it. It was more of just me matching up my natural personality with what I wanted my business ambitions to be all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the type of person that is good at walking into a room and trying to like do a presentation in front of a bunch of people and like try to hit all the bullet points and you know why you should buy from us and putting the pressure on people like that. It just doesn't match up with who I naturally am. So even if I was trying to do that, I probably wouldn't do it very well. And I mean, yeah, there is the argument that I could hire people on my team to do sales and like maybe scale that side of the business, which maybe I will do at some point. But, um, you know, back to your original question on like where I learned that and kind of where it came from. Once I started seeing over time that building the brand and putting content out that actually helped people was leading to longer term relationships that were actually sustaining. And it wasn't just because of the money or because of the the transaction that we made or the business relationship that we had, it just felt like my business started to grow without me even trying to make it grow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it does take patience, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm 31 years old. I don't have any kids. Like there's nothing that I'm really urgently trying to reach or get to. So I'm okay with taking some time and kind of just letting this build naturally over the course of, you know, hopefully the next decade or so. But, um, you know, if you're looking to build a business and sell it in three years, then obviously you're going to have different strategies versus me who owns my own business. Nobody else is part of it. There's no capital raise. There's no investments. There's, I don't even have like a partner or anything like that. So I'm able to be patient just with the way that things are set up in my own personal life. And, um, it's probably just hard for certain people to do it because their ambition might be just to build it up to a certain thing and then flip it and sell it in a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I think you just really have to think about your kind of end goal with the whole thing. But also, even if you don't have an end goal, like just, you know, making sure that you're being patient in the day by day so that you're not making short term decisions. Because for me, I don't know if I'm going to eventually sell brick media in like 10 years, 15 years. I don't know if it's just going to be like my lifelong thing that I do until I retire and we'll figure it out at that point. So I'm trying to remain open-minded about where I want it to go long-term, but in the day by day, not rushing anything because like I don't have anything that I'm like, you know, I'm not like trying to sell it by 2025 and then like go move somewhere or like buy something. Like I have a very simple lifestyle, so I don't have crazy expenses where like I need to make a certain amount or I need to live in a certain neighborhood. So it allows me to be patient, but again, it just depends on each person and their business ambitions. 
Right. Now, you, prior to starting this, you started in 2018? Yeah, mid-2018. So prior to that, you had a fairly standard career path in the marketing field, right? Yeah. You worked at a couple of companies and progressively rising through the ranks and titles and responsibility and right. um, compensation and all that. And I know the companies you work for around here, I mean, you work for some great companies. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you decide that that wasn't the path you wanted to follow? I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but once I only lasted 12 to 18 months at each of my jobs, and then kind of like seeing the pattern of me continuing to do that over time kind of showed me that maybe there was something else that I was missing that no job is going to bring some level of fulfillment to me that maybe I need to chase elsewhere. And then around 2016, 2017, somewhere in that time frame, I started to get out there a little bit more and network with people in the Tampa Bay area. People like Jeff Giganti, who owns um, a couple businesses in the area, like mm-hmm. he sat down with me very early on. He was the first person that ever actually planted a seed like in the back of my head saying, man, like there's a little there's something there that's like entrepreneurial that you might need that you might want to explore a little bit further. And hearing that from somebody like him, who's like very successful and owns a bunch of companies around here, invests in a bunch of companies around here, that made me feel like maybe I do need to take this a little bit more seriously. And, um, you know, around that same time, I started going to church again and that started to become a big part of my life. And obviously, when you have faith in yourself and kind of faith in the process of your life, it makes you a little bit more confident to take steps that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. So I think I just had a lot of positive influences coming into my life at the right time. And it was also at a time when I was on like my fifth job or something like that. And I was like, man, I was like, is it just the jobs that I'm getting that like I can't click with like a certain type of company or like maybe I'm not meant to be in marketing or like, what is it that like every time I'm like 12 or 18 months in, I'm always just like, ah, like I need to figure something else out. And I used to think it was just me lacking patience, me maybe like chasing money too quickly and like expecting promotions too quickly. But when I really was honest with myself, it was a control and kind of like freedom thing. I wanted to be able to make all the decisions and I wanted to be able to control the the path forward. And at some of the companies I worked at, even though they're all, you know, pretty large, established, good companies to work for. Like, I don't have a negative thing to say about any of the places I worked. Like, they were all great companies. But I just always felt like it hit a point where I would have ideas or thoughts on what we should be doing from the marketing side or from the digital side. That for whatever reason, at like the high level where it actually came down to making a decision, wouldn't be able to move forward for whatever reason. And it was always a different reason. Like, sometimes the company's you know, path wasn't aligned with what I was thinking or maybe they made more money in a different way. And like, they didn't really care that much about what I was talking about. So there were always different reasons for it, but I just felt like me only being 27 at the time, whenever brick media was starting and kind of becoming a thing, I just felt like I had to check it off the list to see if I was going to enjoy it or not. Because if I just kept moving up the corporate ladder and never trying it, that would have eaten away at me. And that feeling of not knowing probably would have been worse than if Brick Media started and failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I can deal with that. Like, I can deal with, like, if Brick Media went out of business, like, I would probably just go get another job and be fine. So I do think the, you know, the feeling of not knowing would have bothered me way more than, um, you know, if Brick Media turned out to not work out. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. What do you think drove you to go ahead and do it? Because you hear 
things like you just said a lot. Like a lot of people feel stuck in their jobs and companies because they have ideas and they can't make it happen fast enough within the confines of a corporate environment or whatever. A lot of people talk about wanting to get out and do their own thing or start a business, but a tiny fraction of people actually do it. Um, and again, you were in good positions. You know, you were progressing. You were probably making good money. What do you think it is about you that caused you to take that leap? Was it just the confluence of all those factors? You know, you kind of find your faith again and running into some mentors. Like, what? Why? Why did you take the step most people don't? I think at the time, I knew in the back of my head that even if it didn't work out, I was going to be fine because I was at the time I was already like you know, two or three years into a relationship that I've been in and I'm, and I'm still in and we're engaged and we're getting married later this year. But, um, she has a stable job accounting. So like, she's never not going to have a job that pays well. Mm-hmm. So she was already, you know, working that job, making a good salary. We lived together at the time. We had very low rent because we were living like a little bit on the outskirts of Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, our expenses were very reasonable. I had a little bit in savings. She had some in savings. Again, we don't have kids. We just had a pretty simple life, like an apartment and like eating was kind of like really the only things that we had to make sure that we could pay for. And in the back of my head, I knew that if Brick Media didn't work out in three to six months, it's not like we weren't going to be able to pay for our rent. We weren't going to you know, be able to eat. Like We had enough money to make the basic life necessities still mm-hmm. work. But I also knew that even if I had to go you know, take a six month break and try brick and then come here and apply at Beasley media group or apply at some other places in Tampa, I would eventually find a spot and that I would just be honest in the interview and be like, look, I wanted to try this entrepreneurial thing that's been on my mind for a while. And I have a lot of good experience and I know that some company, some leader somewhere would respect that versus viewing it as a negative that like I took six months out of the corporate world. Sure. So I knew that I was going to be fine no matter what. Yeah. So I think it was more of just like a logical thing in my head. It was like, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen here? And once I realized that the the only downside was like me announcing Brick Media to people, getting people excited, and then six months later being like, hey, by the way, it didn't work out. Like, if that's the worst possible thing that could happen, then I think I'm going to go all in and try it. Yeah. Um, I've heard people describe that as a thought exercise, right? If you want to do something you know, think about how well it could go, but also think about the worst case scenario. And often, if you just think through the worst case scenario, you can see a path forward. You can be like, it would totally suck, but right. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if there will be other options. Now it would be harder to for Brick to close down because I have seven people on the team right. that I pay every two weeks. Yeah. And I have contractors, like probably five or six contractors, like 1099 contractors outside of those seven that make a pretty significant amount with Brick. So now there's other people involved and there's also clients involved that rely on us to handle their social media, handle their marketing. And now that we have kind of roots in the community and like a lot more people rely on what we do as a company, it would definitely be harder now to shut it down. But I mean, hopefully that just doesn't happen. So we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, People think that as the business grows, like it gets easier for the owner. You know, you have a bigger team and they do things for you and you just get more strategic, but the the pressure grows as the team grows because you feel a, res- a sense of responsibility for the people working for you and with you and your clients. And yeah, they say new levels, new devils. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, when you started, did you give yourself 
a timeline? Did you say, I'm going to try this for six months and then reevaluate? Did you, were you working off your own sort of timeline? Yeah. I mean, the marketing world kind of quiets down for certain, certain types of marketing quiet down around the holidays. I mean, of course, like retail and stuff gets, you know, more and more important, but a lot of the types of clients that we work with are very corporate, you know, tech, legal, insurance companies that basically once Thanksgiving hits, you might as well just reach out to them in January because there's not a whole lot going on. But I quit my job on August 17th, I believe it was. So Brick Media's first like official week was like August 24th. So I figured I'd give myself from the end of August all the way until like Thanksgiving. And then, you know, if, if I had to make a decision, I would just like think about it during the holidays. And then in January of uh, 2019, mm-hmm. I would figure out what my game plan was going to be going forward. So I kind of just had in the back of my head, like, I'm just going to do this for the rest of 2018 and kind of see how it goes. And luckily it turned out great. But, um, but yeah, that was kind of the time frame I gave myself, but it wasn't super strict or anything. How long did it take before you felt like, okay, I think this is going to work? Probably it was honestly like a year, like Mm -hmm. a, a solid year of me just doing brick, mostly myself. Um, and then in 2019, I was able to bring on my first hire. And that's once I, once I hired the first person and started to get a little bit of the workload off my plate and allowed myself to go out into the community more and do stuff like this that I'm doing now, I think that's when I saw the potential that, okay, I have enough revenue coming in. I have enough client relationships that are like strong and like they're going somewhere and they're not leaving anytime soon. Um, I felt confident enough to bring on somebody to help. And then that feeling just kind of kept happening, which allowed me to hire someone else and then someone else. But COVID kind of hit me in the face for a little bit. Um, Cause that was March, you know, March, 2020, beginning of 2020. That was only a year and a half into brick media. And that was like when I finally started to feel confident and like, okay, this is going somewhere. And like, I had all these plans and then all of a sudden COVID comes and we lose like three or four clients right off the bat that were like good clients. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of, you know, slowed things down temporarily. And there was actually a point in time where I considered like, man, is it, am I in the right industry? Like, you know, if it's so reliant on other businesses, like whenever the economy's bad, like, am I going to be putting myself at risk? And is this too vulnerable of a situation? But luckily, as COVID progressed, um, you know, the business world finally started to realize like, okay, at some point this is going to go away. Like this isn't going to be a permanent thing. Um, it was just that mass, you know, anxiety and worry at the beginning of COVID mm-hmm. that businesses were like, I'm cutting every expense that I don't need right now. And, you know, marketing's always one of the first things to get cut. So, um, we got dropped by a couple really good clients, like right when COVID started, like two or three months in, mm-hmm. But then we started picking up more and more clients throughout 2020 because people realized the importance of a digital and social presence. And because a lot of people were relying on just handshakes in person, like always being at the chamber events and always going to networking events and having your sales team go out in person and like drop things off at businesses and talk to people. So it really accelerated the awareness of having a social presence and a digital presence that was modern and consistent and fresh. And that ended up helping us so much throughout the rest of 2020 that we actually ended up growing by like 60% compared to 2019. 
Oh, wow. In 2020? Yeah, 2020 was 60% higher revenue than 2019. So you had a quick dip. We had a quick dip from yeah. like March until May. And then all of a sudden it went the complete opposite direction and like skyrocketed. And I was actually able to hire two additional people towards the end of 2020 that made our team uh, three instead of just one other person. And um, things have changed a little bit since then, but we're still just continuing to slowly grow. And um, COVID definitely kind of accelerated the overall awareness of like why digital and social is so important. Definitely. But, um, but yeah, here we are today. Yeah. Does your wife help you with your accounting? She does not actually. She so does she, not? She does more of the audit side mm-hmm. of accounting where okay. she, they audit like big public companies and stuff like that to make sure that they're not committing fraud and all right. that kind of stuff. So when it comes to like my day to day, like bookkeeping and taxes and all that stuff, I have a bookkeeper that helps like on a monthly basis with like making sure that all of our invoices get paid and like she runs payroll for us and stuff like that. And then at the end of the year, I have a, a CPA that just does my my business taxes and my personal taxes. So I have all that under control, luckily, yeah, yeah. but it's always a big, uh, I get so much anxiety, like the week leading up to tax time. Cause I'm just like, oh man, I hope I hope I saved enough for this big check that I'm gonna have to write to the government. Yeah. So, you can get some nasty surprises when yeah. you're doing your own thing and, uh, you know, responsible for withholding your own taxes and doing the quarterlies and all that. It's scary. Um, you, were you active in social media prior to starting this agency? Were you a very active social media enthusiast? Yeah. And a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends from, you know, even like high school kind of, you know, still laugh at the whole idea that I turned out doing a social media agency and like, it's actually what ends up paying my bills and sustaining my lifestyle because I was always the person in like, you know, from ninth grade on and even all, all the way through college and like all the way even early into my career that was always posting stuff on social media. It was and it wasn't even always just like typically what you would expect, like, you know, how people brag and like exaggerate what they do and, you know, um, try to take like the perfect photo and like show off and everything like that. But I was always like putting content out into the world that was either like thought provoking or informative or like trying to educate somebody on something. There was even a period of time in college when I created like a music blog where literally I just built a WordPress website and I was like, telling people about new music that came out and it was always just part of me was just like putting things out into the world in some way and just seeing what would work and what would resonate with people and it's ironic because I chose marketing as a major in college just kind of randomly like it just sounded the most fun out of all the other business uh, majors that were available Mm -hmm. but I've kind of always been a marketer and kind of always been like a somebody interested in brand building personal and actual brands for as long as I can remember, like since social media existed. Um, I mean, obviously it's a little different, like with like MySpace was when I was in like middle school and that was kind of different. But once Facebook came out and Twitter, that's really when I started to think like, okay, like you can actually use social media to build something and build your personal reputation and your brand and whatever else you want to do. It's just a good way to build connections. If anything, it's a good way to get to know people that you don't already know. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the people that I meet nowadays are like somebody comes across something on LinkedIn, having never met me before. And then we meet in person. I mean, there are plenty of times still where somebody meets me in real life and then we become connected online, but it's like 50, 50. It's like a lot of people that reach out to me or vice versa. It starts digitally and then goes to in person. So, and do you find a lot of those people 
have that experience where it's like, wow, I kind of feel like I already know you because I've you know been following you and I think so. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people by the time they've sat down with me have already seen like seventeen things I've put out on LinkedIn and Instagram, and a lot of time I think it's I think people expect that it's like you know the whole steak and sizzle thing that everybody says with marketing. It's mm-hmm. like there's got to be the sizzle to like intrigue people and like get them to pay attention to something. But then the actual steak like has to be like, you know, there has to be a good thing that's actually there. That's like real and it's like operational and it's like an actual business. And like the person's actually legitimate. I think a lot of people that see something that I post on social media, I think they put me into a box sometimes of like, Oh, he's just like cranking out content and there's probably really nothing to it. But I think it's sometimes a pleasant surprise whenever they sit down with me and they realize that I actually have a real business that has like a team and we have like a real office space in downtown and like we work with 25 to 30 companies in Tampa and we do a good job for them and we have a good reputation with all of them. And I think, you know, I think content creation is something that there's still a lot of us. There's still a lot of stigma around it where it's like if somebody makes videos and posts stuff online, it almost seems like they're egotistical or like trying to just get likes or whatever else pops into people's heads. But I think people sometimes with me are like, okay, like after they actually sit down with me and talk to me, they're like, okay, he puts out content, but it's really just to like attract people to meet them and meet him in person and actually learn what he's all about. Right. Right. What would you say to a business owner or any higher level executive or anybody in a, you know, with a lot of responsibility and, working for a company that understands that they should be doing this type of thing and they should be trying to build their personal brand and their reputation. Um, but they aren't as comfortable as you are. Maybe they didn't grow up with social media or even if they did grow up with social media, they didn't use it like you did. What would you say to those people about getting started? I mean, I would say one that just recognizing that it's important in the first place. Um, some people just view social media as this like fun little thing on the side that like, you know, maybe some office person can take five hours a week and just do it or whatever. Some people just don't take it seriously. So that would be step one is just realizing that billions of people use it every single day. And every time somebody goes on their phone, they're on a social media app or they're on Google, which you can also have a presence on. Right. So everywhere that people are looking is an opportunity for you to be getting your brand or your personality in front of people. So that's one is just realizing the importance of it. But as far as actually executing on it and like starting to build something for like either yourself or for your business, I honestly would give, I mean, it's not the advice that you would expect. Like I'm not pushing anybody to do anything. I would say just kind of figure out who you are and kind of the way that you like to communicate things because I personally, it's taken me a lot of practice to even want to post videos of myself speaking on camera, like Doing stuff like this Mm -hmm. used to be a complete nightmare for me. Like I used to not like to do it, but I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with it over time. So there is an element definitely of just like practicing and getting better at certain things that you believe are important. Like for me, for example, I really believe that video is super important because every social media app out there seems to be pushing video and showing videos to more people than pictures and graphics. So I think video is important. So for that reason, I'm like, I need to get better at video. But if that wasn't the case, then I'd probably feel a lot more comfortable just writing all the time because writing for me comes a lot more naturally to me. Like 
I loved when blogging was like a big thing because it fit my personality and my skill set like perfectly because I was able to crank out like articles and written content like nobody's business. But once I started to realize that other types of content were performing better and like becoming more trendy and people liked them more, I was like, man, I got to start getting better at these other things. But I would say one is just realize it's important. But two is just like you have to put out content, but it doesn't have to be exactly like what everybody else is doing. If you feel like speaking is your strength, like just your voice and like talking and having conversations with people, then maybe having a podcast or like having some way for people to consume you with like just audio is a great place to start. If you feel like you're a good writer and you know that you can crank out like a thoughtful piece with like, you know, and like structure it perfectly and have it, you know, be read really like easily by people, then maybe you kind of start with just writing some content. Um, If you feel like pictures for whatever reason or what you would feel comfortable with, like start there. Um, If you know how to make graphics or somebody on your team knows how to make graphics, then start there. It's just like you got to start somewhere, but you need to make sure that you start with something that you're the most comfortable with because if you don't, then you're never going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. If you start with like, let's say you, for example, like if you love this, but you don't love the idea of like a camera being in your face and like you don't love the idea of sitting down and writing some content, then maybe you just need to go all in on this podcast for a little bit and see where that takes you mm-hmm. and get really comfortable with it to where you're consistently putting out you know, posts and episodes and things like that. But then maybe over time you get so comfortable with this that you're like, eh, maybe I should like try to improve a little bit on like the video side or like maybe I should hire a photographer to do like a professional photo shoot or something like that. Um, so it's just starting with something that you're comfortable with so that you at least build the habit of like putting out content, but then over time just like introducing new ideas and trying new things because this video audio, like I used to be not comfortable with it. I used to just love to like post a picture of like something that I was doing and then like write an article. But once I realized that social platforms were going away from static images and written stuff, I was like, I need to innovate and get better at video. Mm-hmm. So this isn't necessarily what I was born with, but I have practice to the point where I can at least function in an environment like this. So that would be probably what I would recommend. Okay. Um, I noticed your agency, your company has done some work with Vayner Sports. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how that happened. That must have been, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that specific relationship is really like the power of social media, like in a nutshell, because I've been following Gary Vaynerchuk, um, Vayner Media, kind of everything that he's been up to probably since like 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. around the time that Brick started. Because obviously when you're looking to build, you know, a successful marketing agency, you look to other people that have also done the same thing. And I really like the way that Gary approaches things and the way that he puts things out. So I don't have like the crazy energy level that he has. So like, it's not like I could ever be like him on camera or anything, but it's one of those things where I kind of viewed what he did as like a good general thing to get inspiration from. So I always followed along with him. And once I heard that Vayner sports was becoming a thing, I saw that they were representing NFL athletes. Um, So Vayner Sports, for people that are listening and don't know, it's a sports representation company. So they're basically NFL agents, NBA agents, MLB, and they represent players all across the country at this point. 
And when Vayner Sports first started, they were signing like so they weren't getting deals with like the biggest names in the NFL. They were getting kind of like the, you know, the second tier, like the people that start on teams, but they're not like the best person on the team or whatever. So they had a couple of players that they were representing that one of them played on the Tampa Bay Bucks. And then one of them uh, had roots and like grew up here, but actually played on a different team, played for the Packers. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple situations where um, they would need local companies to execute on certain things for their players. And I knew that they did that because like I heard something about that on a podcast at one point that Gary was on. And I knew that Gary's brother, AJ was kind of the one that was really heading up the day-to-day operations of Vayner sports. And Gary's brother still has a pretty good sized audience on social, but it's nothing like Gary's to where like, I knew that if I reached out to AJ, like he would actually see it. Versus if I reach out to Gary, it's just going to blend in with like a thousand other comments. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to AJ directly on Twitter and literally said, if you ever need any help with any Tampa based athletes, like we'll help you for free. Like I was like, I just started a marketing agency in town. Like I love what you and Gary do. I was like, whatever you need, like we'll just do it. And um, I had to pay out of pocket to actually build that relationship because I would have to staff it with people, whether it's like a web person or a content creator or what were you doing for them like what what kind of work were you doing for them yeah so for example there was a packers wide receiver who had a youth camp every year in tampa so what we did for that was we showed up at the youth camp with photographer videographer got a bunch of content made it very like social media friendly content and then sent it to them so that they could use it on their channels the athlete could use it on their personal accounts and stuff like that so a lot of it was like content creation for these athletes that would have local things going on in Tampa. And then there were a few situations where we were doing um, websites for these athletes. And some of it was just like a personal athlete's website that had like their stats and like videos and highlights and information about like nonprofits that they helped and brand deals that they had and stuff like that. Cause a lot of what Vayner sports does for these athletes is they help them with all their off the field stuff. So they help them get like new brand deals and like, start foundations and set up these youth camp events and like really anything in their towns or um, hometowns or the place that they play or whatever, they help them with a lot of that stuff, but they relied at least, at least at the time they relied on a lot of local resources to help execute on some of those little things. So we've built a few websites for different NFL athletes. Um, We've done a few content shoots for some of the Vayner sports athletes and, uh, The crazy thing about the whole thing to me still when I think about it is it all happened just because I tweeted at AJ and I had the courage to just reach out to somebody and put myself out there. Right. And a lot of people just would never even do that because they feel awkward. They don't want to seem like pushy or maybe they just a lot of people that, again, weren't born with social media and like grew up with social media. The whole idea of reaching out to somebody online that you don't even know probably just seems foreign and kind of just awkward. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate for myself, obviously that I was born in the time that I was and that I started to embrace technology at the age that I did, because there's been a lot of situations, not just that one where I truly feel like the power of social media and the power of like making connections online has led to some crazy opportunities for myself and for brick media. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, that, was, that was a smart strategy to reach out to AJ. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've followed Gary for a long time, too. I've actually followed Gary since he was doing Wine Library. Really? Since, yeah. Somehow I found that YouTube channel and, and found it fascinating and was just watching it through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout my time following him, he has periodically, in fact, fairly often, he plucks people out of audiences and out of his DMs and mm-hmm. social media feeds and, and responds to them and gives them opportunities and... He's always been good about that. The other thing that's interesting that I actually use this example with clients that we work with is I will take them to the Wine Library TV YouTube channel and sort oldest to newest. And if you look at his very first videos, they're nothing like what he is now. It's not even the same person. It's a very subdued version of him and right. a much younger version. But it's a it's great inspiration because most people are familiar with him now or, or over the last couple of years. But if you look back, like he started – in the same place anybody would have started. Mm-hmm. He just had the foresight to do it, and he was committed, and he did it you know, for a long time, and he got really good at it. But his initial videos right. are, are not fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, obviously— You have to start somewhere. Of course. And obviously, the technology's changed a little bit to where, like, he probably had a crappy little camera that, like, looked blurry. And, like, if you look at it on a computer screen now, it's probably, like, horrible, horrible. But— even nowadays, like people overthink the whole idea of just like setting your iPhone down and like starting to talk. Mm-hmm. Like I do that all the time. If you see my content on LinkedIn or right. Instagram, I just set my phone on the table. I start talking. I hit end. I might edit it like a tiny, tiny bit with like maybe subtitles or like I'll put a header on top of it or I'll make it look like it belongs on whatever platform it's supposed to go on. But I'm not having like a videographer come to my office every single time I do a video and like take photos of me and take videos. Like I don't have a videographer following me around or like, you know, of course there's a time and a place for all that stuff. Like if I was making a video for my website that I wanted to be like the hero, like brand video, Mm -hmm. then yeah, I would get a whole videography team to do that and like make it professional. And, or if I was doing a commercial that was going to go on TV or OTT or Hulu or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I would, I wouldn't make it a cell phone video, but in terms of day to day social content that a lot of the time will actually outperform highly produced content because people have gotten so savvy with knowing what's an ad and what's not that when something is like too high quality, they almost assume that you're trying to sell them something Mm -hmm. versus whenever I just set my phone down and start talking it might to certain people look like uh, he's just like throwing everything and anything out there. But if you actually sit down and listen to it and like actually try to absorb what I'm saying and not just judge it at the surface level, I'm saying some, some good stuff. Like I'm saying some stuff that's thoughtful. I'm putting out educational things. I'm not just popping up with anything that pops into my head and like throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. It is very strategic, but I just know that if I had to have a videographer and like a whole setup and lighting and all that stuff for every interview or any thought that I had one, it would come off as not authentic because I'd feel almost like staged or like I'm an actor or something almost. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is it allows me to be more consistent because I can set my phone down for like an hour and record 20 videos, which gives me the ability to post like two of those a day for like days and days on end versus, you know, trying to make it all complicated every single time and get the perfect shot and then like overthink it. And I just think there's a time and a place for everything. And social media is not the place to overthink everything that you put out. Yeah. It feels less authentic. Right. I guess it's what's appropriate for the channel. Like when you go to somebody's website, 
it's probably a negative indicator if the quality of the production looks bad. It's of like, course. oh, this is kind of a startup. They're not really serious yet. But mm-hmm. on social channels, though, it feels inauthentic. If it's a, It looks like a commercial. If it's very right. slick and polished and there's multiple camera angles and all this kind of stuff, it's like, oh, this person – tried to make this a show yeah you know? and i mean if you're even ads like we test because we, we run paid advertising campaigns mm-hmm. in addition to doing the social media content even the ads that perform best are the ones that don't look like they would like it's it'll be like a cell phone picture versus like a highly produced video cell phone picture every time i mean we've yeah. tested this for 15 20 brands like even in the last like two years Every single time, the raw, authentic-looking content performs better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it's like something that we quickly snapped with our phone like when we were at the shoot, like just to test it. And a lot of the time, I would say most of the time, that outperforms the, the video that we spent two weeks editing and like, you know, making perfect. Right, so, right. Yeah. So you recently posted that March is your best month ever at Brick Media. Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? What's working? I think it's all the seeds I've been planting since 2018. I mean, a lot of the time, kind of like you were saying with Gary, with me, like with anybody that's kind of doing something and just like committing to it and having the patience to know that you're not going to reap the rewards of it like that week. I think it's a lot of that behavior that I've been doing over the last three or four years that some of those are finally starting to turn into something. And it's not forced. It's not like... I mean, yeah, occasionally I do like follow up with people and say like, hey, we talked a couple of years ago, like, how's everything going? Like, I'm still nurturing those relationships over time, but it does seem like as time goes on and like, you know me, like, you know that I post content like Monday through Friday, like multiple times a day, like all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible if you're connected to me on a platform to not know what I'm up to. So um, it's a lot of that, but it's also a lot of just like, I think it's a lot of people realizing that, man, Jake sat down and talked to me in 2019 and like it's 2022 right now. And he literally never tried to sell me anything in three years. And then like the situation finally comes up where they need something that we do and they end up reaching out to us. But it's because I've built that trust with them over a long period of time. And I think it's just I mean, the fact that it was the best month ever, I mean, Sometimes that just happens because like the natural progression of like slowly building your business over time. But I do think 2022 is going to be by far our best year yet. And it's just because of all the relationships that have been kind of cultivated over the last three, four years. What's been harder than you expected about building this? A few things. Um, I think setting expectations sometimes is a challenge with like the marketing agency world in general because it's easy to get a client by exaggerating or by overselling over promising mm-hmm. um, but then three months in the client realizes that oh like they just wanted my business and my check um, so the hard part for me is like I never want that to happen so a lot of the time when I'm in you know, a conversation about, Hey, what does brick media do? Like, how can you help us? A lot of the time, what people want is math, ROI, sales, revenue. That's the kind of talk they want to hear back from me. And once they realize that what we offer is more along the lines of branding and content and like building awareness with your audience and kind of getting your audience engaged over time, it's really like a long-term brand building type of thing that we offer. 
And that's been tough because there's a lot of business that I've missed out on because we are so focused on long term. Um, but at the end of the day, I like it more that way because then we end up working with the, the right types of clients that have the same mindset that we do. And they're okay with investing in something for multiple years and then eventually reaping the rewards of it versus, hey, run this ad campaign and get this many leads and get this much revenue like quickly. And we still do offer that. It's just not the core service that we're putting out into the world. It mostly just kind of complements everything else that we're doing. So, for example, if we're running the social media for a law firm, they might also hire us to just run their ads as well so that they don't have to have multiple vendors that are mm-hmm. all doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's usually just kind of something that we're adding on on top of the social media. It's rare that we have clients where all we do for them is ads. And whenever we do have those clients, we make sure that they have a healthy enough budget level to where we feel the ads can actually make an impact on what they're trying to do versus if somebody comes to us and says, hey, we can spend like a thousand bucks a month on ads and like, you know, part of it's going to go to a management fee and then there's like 600 bucks left over for, you know, actually running the ads. And like, we know that that's not going to do much. So I'll be very honest with those people and just say, Hey, like that's going to be a drop in the ocean. Like you're not even going to show up a lot of the time. So, um, that's been one hard thing is just making sure that we're always over communicating what we do up front and just knowing that that's going to lead to a lot of people saying no and like not wanting to work with us. But Because, like, I'm sure that if I talked to 10 people and kind of, like, oversold the whole revenue and ROI type of talk, I'm sure I could land six or seven out of those 10. But with the way that I do it now, I over-communicate up front that, like, don't expect ROI from this, like, especially in, like, a three- to six-month window. Because social media is more about you're going to build it over a long period of time. And then one day it's going to hit you like, oh, man, like this is really working. And like this is really driving a lot of organic business and a lot of trust and a lot of new people in my community. And like it's going to naturally lead to sales, but it's going to take longer. And because I overset that expectation up front, I probably only end up getting one or two out of those 10 instead of six or seven. But those one or two stick with us for like years. Yeah, your retention's really good. Right. Right. Yeah, we have really strong retention with our clients because we're just working with the right people. And then the other thing that's been really tough for us has been, or for me personally rather, is just building the team and like structuring things because I'm only three and a half years into this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we've gotten better at just getting clients and like getting new revenue and, you know, getting new relationships happening. But the learning curve for me over the past year or so, once, I have, once I've had multiple employees on the team, is just figuring out like staffing needs, like how many people I need for what thing, who to assign to certain clients based on their skill set. Should this person manage this person? Should this person do this on their own or should they do it collaboratively with someone else? Should this person be a W-2 or should this person be a freelancer? Um like what's my responsibility in this whole thing? Like what do I delegate versus what don't I delegate? Those have been the harder things Mm -hmm. as we've gotten more and more clients because the more clients you get, the more people you need to help fulfill on those things. And then making sure that I'm over communicating our brand internally to everybody that works for me so that we're all moving in the same direction and almost like, Like I have people on my team now that are in meetings today, like while I'm sitting here doing this podcast interview with you, 
that I have all the confidence in the world are going to be saying the same thing that I would say in a meeting. All aligned on the story and the strategy and the narrative. Right. And that only happens because I make sure that every week, multiple times a week, I'm like having one-on-one conversations with these people to make sure that they know how I would respond in a certain situation. And I make sure to still get in the weeds enough and like go into client meetings enough so that my team can just kind of observe the way that I would handle a certain question or, you know, they learn kind of just through watching what I do and kind of how I pour into them. So, um, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but that's, no, been, that's a good point. I, want, I wanted to ask you about this too. So as you've grown, when you start a business, especially with your business, you were the face of the business. You brought the clients in, you worked with the clients, I'm sure one-on-one for some period of time. Was it hard to transition to a point where now you're handing off clients day to day to people on your team, whereas a lot of these people probably came in because they wanted to work with you. It's like, hey, Jake, I see you everywhere. I want to do what you do. I, you know, I believe in you. Right. Is it hard to then hand them off to mm-hmm. somebody? Yeah, I mean, I think most business owners know in the back of their head that like the owner of this can't help me day to day. Like, I don't think people would hire Vayner Media thinking like Gary Vee is going to be their account manager. So I think it, you know, once people realize and it's kind of out there enough that you actually do have a team. I think most people come to us with that expectation that like, okay, Jake's not my point of contact here. But if not, I make sure that in the first couple conversations, like as soon as they sign the agreement saying like, let's work together. The first meeting after that has people on my team in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And honestly, sometimes even before the sale even happens, I'll involve somebody from my team so that they see other people's faces And like on the proposals that we send to people, I make sure that I have a slide on there that like shows my team so that it's not all about Jake all the time. Um, But it is a challenge all the time because, yeah, most people are initially drawn to brick because of something that I do or that I put out or something good that somebody says about me to somebody else. But I think it's just involving the team early enough to where the client never thinks that I'm going to be like their go-to person for everything. I do make sure that they know that I'm always involved and that I'm still going to be a part of some meetings and that you're still going to hear from me like throughout the month. It's not like I hand it off and then I never talk to you again Mm -hmm. because we are a small business. And like for, for that reason, some other small business owners like the personal touch of the owner kind of being a part of things. But it definitely has gotten to a point where I'm not talking to the client like multiple times a week. It's like, you know, a few times a month is like, I'm more checking in with them and I'm just managing things internally. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's just building a team and making sure that you're training your people to essentially do what you would do in certain situations. But yeah, it's, it's a tough transition just making, having the ability to let go and like trust that other people are going to make things happen. Yeah. But if you find good people that are kind of all, aligned with what you're doing, then you're going to be able to step away. And I mean, if you're listening to this and you're a business owner that you do feel like you need to delegate a little bit more and like, let go of the reins a little bit, just trust your team and just test it. Like just rip the bandaid off and just try it because that was something I had to do early on was just like, let my team handle it and then see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. is nerve wracking but like after a couple times you realize like, okay, my team's got this. Like I don't have to be involved for this to work. Um, f- Cause for a while I did feel like a glorified employee where I was just 
I was getting all the sales, but then I was also helping fulfill on all the work. Right. Right. And it's only been six to 12 months that I've really felt like an actual business owner Mm -hmm. to where if I walked away for a month, like brick would still run. Um, certain things might not happen as efficiently or like not as many sales would be coming in and stuff like that. But I do feel like the day-to-day operations of brick would function perfectly fine if I went somewhere for a month or something like that. And how have you built that? Have you built out processes and workflows and guidebooks? Like how have you operationalized that so that people can come in and onboard quickly and, and very quickly understand the way you do things? Yeah, that was always a struggle for me up until about a year ago when I realized I really needed it for things to function properly. Mm-hmm. Because I think walking away from the corporate world, a lot of what I didn't like so much was all the process and all the hoops and chains of command that you had to get approvals from for every little thing. And for a while, as Brick got started, I was almost like anti-process to a fault where I just like demonized it and was mm-hmm. like, we don't need process. Like we don't like process here. <laughs> but do the, the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, eventually it got to the point where I realized like, okay, like now I see why businesses need process in a certain, you know, a certain capacity. But it's having enough process to make things organized and make things flow smoothly, but not having too much to where you spend more time on the process than the actual work itself. So for example, I implemented a project management tool where the clients get access to it to see their upcoming content. Um, We drop our future content ideas in there before posts even see the public eye. Mm -hmm. They're all being planned in this project management tool. All the captions are being written beforehand. All the assets that we take, whether it's videos, photos, make graphics, all that's being dumped into this platform and it's all in one place and it's all categorized by team member, by client, by, you know, whoever should have access to what thing. And anybody could go into that platform for the first time and see like, okay, like let's say somebody on my team has to quit their job and like go work somewhere else. Somebody else would easily be able to go into monday.com, see everything that that person had access to, Mm -hmm. see how it's all laid out. And I have a couple training videos that I've recorded, like showing people how to use it. And all they have, all they would have to do is watch those videos, like three videos I made, go into the platform, and they would be on their way in a couple days. So you use Monday.com. I do use Monday.com. Any other tools like that that you would recommend that have been uh, important for you as you've grown? Yeah, we use Slack to mm-hmm. internally communicate with each other. That's been really nice for kind of day to day communication. Um, we still are trying to figure out our way with like putting things in Slack versus like texting certain things versus emailing certain things so that we right. all know like what types of communication should be in Slack versus what should be in email and trying to get away from texts just, just to not drive everybody crazy on their personal phones. But Slack's been really good for kind of just like ongoing team collaboration. Um, we use Canva for content creation a lot of the time at least. There's certain things that you still have to do in Adobe products and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the day-to-day content creation happens in Canva because you can upload all your assets to it. You can edit everything in there. Canva is no longer like a very basic graphic design tool. Like it is becoming more advanced over time and you Mm -hmm. can make some really nice things in it. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to do things a lot more quickly 
and your whole team can have access to it. And what's well, amazing for starting points on things. Like if right. you just want to create a graphic for something, mm-hmm. you can go on there and just get a million different ideas and customize it. It's, it's really a pretty impressive tool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You, there's like thousands of templates in there. So mm-hmm. they used to not be so advanced. Like they used to only have like, you know, 10 templates for like a certain type of thing. So you would go on social media and be able to tell like who was using Canva just because you would recognize the templates. Yeah. But there's like thousands of things on there now. And if you customize things enough using Canva, nobody will ever know if it was made in Canva or if it was made in Adobe. But the point with that is Canva is a really good tool for social media teams and marketing teams, not only just to get things done more quickly, but the pro version where you can have like a team on there and you can have like different folders and things like that that are tagged by client and project. Really cool because you can have like the right people on the right things and have it all categorized in different folders and you can also link it up to your Google Drive or your Dropbox. So if you put your assets somewhere, mm-hmm. you can directly link them up with Canva. And then you can actually link up some of those other tools with Monday.com. So it's all like kind of one big workflow where like you drop your assets somewhere and then you edit them and then they go into Monday. And like it's it's a really nice oh, flow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few tools that we use like that. But I don't, like I said, I'm still finding my way a little bit when it comes to having a very concrete process and very concrete like set of tools that we use for everything. But we're definitely at the point where we have a few things that allow us to be more organized and more productive, but without like overdoing the process to where we spend more time in the process than we do on the actual work itself. Yeah. It's fine line sometimes. Yeah, for sure. What about you personally? What are your personal routines, best practices? How do you stay sharp and Sleep is number one. I mean, I don't know if you're asking like soft, like it's like soft skills or hard skills type of thing, but whatever like, comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, sleep is number one. Like if I get less than six hours of sleep, I'm a complete zombie and I won't be able to function properly. No Do you matter. track it? Yeah. Aura yeah. ring or a whoop have, strap or anything? Yep. Yeah. I have the aura ring on right whoop now. Strap. Oh, you have the whoop <laughs> strap. Nice. But, um, I was actually like looking between the two of those and trying to decide which one I wanted, but I like this because I don't, I can still wear a watch and this at the same time. So I like that, but I track my sleep. Um, I just recently have started to dabble a little bit with like journaling Mm -hmm. just to kind of get my thoughts out. Mm -hmm. And it allows me to kind of put some of my priorities on paper versus just having them in like monday.com or Trello or something like that. Like I like to write things down sometimes to make sure that I'm, you know, really remembering them. Right. Um, so sleep that, um, I feel like I'm just, I'm really into wellness in kind of a weird way. Like I'm not one of those, like, you know, I don't like track my macros and count every calorie or like work out every single day and stuff like that. But I am really interested in like little ways that I can optimize like my health and wellness in a way that's going to help make me more sharp and more energetic. So I recently got into running. I just ran my first half marathon. Congrats. Uh, thank you. I feel like, because I, I followed this too, and mm-hmm. I feel like from when you started running to the half marathon was a pretty quick progression. Yeah. And yeah. I remember you posting like milestones, like, oh my gosh, I ran three miles today. I never right. thought I'd be able to run three miles and then it's half marathon. Like, right. how, tell me about that journey. Yeah. So in November uh, of 2021, I realized that the Gasparilla half marathon was coming up on February 27th of 2022. So I realized I had like four or five months to really train for a half if I wanted to do it. And I was just going through kind of a rut, like with my health and like eating and not working out. And I was like, I need to do something just to like have a goal. 
because I'm one of those people that if I don't have something I'm going towards, then I won't do anything. Like right now, I haven't worked out like a like a really good workout in probably like a month. Mm-hmm. But it, that's because I don't have a goal that I'm going after. Right. Like I don't right. have like I'm in decent shape. Like I'm not overweight. Like I don't feel terrible. So I don't have this like immediate need to like chase any certain goal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of happy with like how I look and how I feel. So it's kind of hard to even like consistently for me want to work out or eat well because I'm like I'm not really noticing big differences or anything like that. But um, when it comes to the running and having that goal in the back of my mind, I knew that if I signed up for this half marathon, it was like like pressure. Like I, I had the pressure of knowing February 27th is going to come and you're going to have to know how to crank through 13.1 miles. And if you don't practice, then you're going to show up that day and you're not going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's a great motivator. Yeah. It's like speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not comfortable speaking, a great way to get comfortable speaking is like agree to do something. Book it. Yeah. Book okay. it. Yeah. I have a speaking engagement later this afternoon that it's like a few hours from now. I'm not looking forward to it. Like I'm not excited about it. I'm not good at that kind of stuff. I haven't practiced it enough. And the only way that I'm going to get better is if I actually sign up for something and try it out. Right. right. And luckily this one is a virtual speaking event. So I'm going to be on zoom in front of like a hundred people, yeah. but they're yeah. all going to be in a room and like knowing that I'm going to be up on the screen is still kind of nerve wracking for me. Right. But I do view that stuff as important to get better at, which kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier of like, if you do believe that something is important for either your personal life or for your career life, even if it's uncomfortable, like you got to at least get better at it or at least try to get better at it. And I do view like if I'm going to be a local leader in Tampa in the business world, I'm eventually going to have to get on stage and talk about something or I'm going to have to do stuff like this and get interviewed. And I have people that want to learn things from me that are like in their 20s. And I'm like, I have to be able to deliver that in a way that's that's, you know, well put together. Right. So. Right. But yeah, I mean, back to the half marathon real quick. Um, I started training and doing a couple runs per week around, you know, early November and slowly but surely that progressed into, you know, longer and longer runs. And before I knew it, I was working from like eight to 6 PM and then right after work running like a six mile run. So honestly, for me, um, I have another, I have my personal podcast. It's called brick by brick. And I did a whole episode on the half marathon if anybody wants to listen. But in terms of, um, in terms of doing the half marathon and completing it successfully, I'm more proud of myself for getting through the training than I actually was about the half itself. It's the journey. You hear that a lot from people who get into running. There were a lot of days where it was like, 12 hour work day and then knowing at the end of the day i had to run five miles like i don't even want to run five miles on like a saturday (laughs) when i have nothing to do let alone after a 12 hour work day yeah like imagine working eight in the morning and then getting done at 8 p.m the last thing you want to do is go do a hard exercise so and i would crank those out like it was on my calendar i'd scheduled it just like i would schedule a meeting and be like five mile run at 6 p.m or 8 p.m or whatever And after doing those runs, you feel so good and just so accomplished. Like you're like in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I really just did put in like an 11 hour workday and then run five miles. Like that's a lot more than most people would be willing to do. And just that sense of fulfillment that I've got like along the way, like finishing it and like crossing the finish line and getting the medal and all that stuff and having, 
you know, my fiance and her younger brother at the finish line and like everybody being excited. That was almost just like icing on the cake for like what the journey was. So that's kind of how I viewed the half and why I would recommend anybody to just try something like that. That sounds really tough and you're going to feel really good along the way. And then also at the end of it. So like starting a business, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, that sounds like a good place to wrap up. Um, Thank you for sharing all that. Absolutely. Very good. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely.